Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Psalm 37, if you would, if you'd turn there. Psalm 37 is, up until this point, pretty unique. There'll be other psalms after it like it. Uh, it's a wisdom psalm. How many You've read the book of Proverbs, right? Proverbs are these kind of very short, punchy, memorable statements that are generally true in the world that help you to see the world rightly and so live rightly in it. That's what Psalm 37 is. And in fact, Jesus, when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, takes verse 11 and basically repeats it, paraphrases it a bit, and he says, the, um, blessed are the meek, for they what? Will inherit the earth. And so Psalm 37 is something of a wisdom saying, a sermon expounding the virtue, the goodness, and the reward of meekness. That's what this is about. But particularly in light of, as Pastor Jeff said, all of the anger, frustration, fretting, getting overheated because of what you observe happening in the world. And that you observe that it looks like the guy at work who's a jerk seems to get ahead. And that ticks you off, gets your goat. Or maybe you're a sibling in your household, the bratty one, the bothersome one gets the most attention. It really disheartens you or frustrates you. So Psalm 37 is aimed at helping you. So, but I do want you to think that this isn't just going to give you data to think better on this. This does want to shape how you feel about it, how you interact with it in not just your thought, but your experience of it. And so that's what I hope it gets at. I hope it gets at your heart. So let's uh, pray. Let's ask God for that. And uh, we'll look at this kind of delightful psalm. Father, we are your servants Please open our eyes. Don't hide your eternal words from us. We ask that you'd work within our souls. We long for your wisdom. We long for your rules at all times. And so God, help us when it looks like the wicked are winning, that we might meditate on your holy and errorless commands. And so, Father, please help us now. Amen. Let's begin looking at Psalm 37 by flipping over to Psalm 119. Uh, Psalm 119 contains something that is there in Psalm 37, but not explicitly so. You're familiar with Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in the Bible, but how many of your Bible translation have these little Hebrew words every eight verses? Do you, do you all yours have that? Okay. Um, you might teens are, that's the Hebrew alphabet. And so Psalm 119, each uh, eight verses, that first word begins with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Kind of a structuring device. It's a poetical device to 
Those of you who would know the Hebrew alphabet have each beginning word begins with that, and it's a memory device. It's also beautiful. We call that an acrostic. Well, Psalm 37 is, is the same. So back to Psalm 37, it's, a, it's an acrostic. It's every two lines begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And I thought it would be helpful to point that out, um, not only because that's what's going on here, but it's, it's, again, God's kindness to you. This is the detail with which our Heavenly Father cares for you. He wants you to see things beautiful. This is beautiful. It's, it's a kind of a neat thing, isn't it? And he puts it in, in ways that allow you to really grab hold of it and take it with you, to memorize it. Now, we don't, unfortunately, know Hebrew or the alphabet, but that's what God is doing for his people. He's stooping such to our level that it, it's memory. And then it also covers A to Z. That's kind of the point of it. He wants to so thoroughly go into a subject that he covers it with every letter of the alphabet, A to Z. So that's what we're going to see in, in, in Psalm 37. And Psalm 37 is a sermon. As I said at the front, it's a sermon dealing with the trouble we have in the world and how God's people do it. Look at verse 1 right away. You know what? I haven't read it yet, have I? I'm supposed to read this. Should we read it first? Oh, my goodness. All right, here's Psalm 37. Of David, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of the many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the day of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they will have abundance." But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For, the for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast, cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young. And now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so that you shall dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. 
but the children of the righteous shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on you will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away. And behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they are his refuge. All right, so hopefully as you heard that, you heard a sermon. This is more sermon-like than song-like in the Psalms. He's wanting you to feel in your soul how to live in this world and observe it. And so right off the beginning... Don't worry. Don't be so easily agitated. There's a do not. There's a command. There's a, an exhortation. I want to point that out again because what is a sermon for? What is the effect supposed to be on your life as you hear the word of God preached? What is it supposed to do to you? It's supposed to change you. It is supposed to make you feel bad for your fretting. To make you go, ah, why do I do that? And then it's supposed to cause you to repent of it, to name it to God, and then replace it with trust in the Lord. Then you begin to do things like, God, help me to trust you. Maybe there is an activity in your life that is causing you to, consi- or tempting you at least, to consistently fret and worry and become overheated. And you're looking at that saying, you know what? Maybe it'd be more godly if I just say no to doing that. And maybe I should do things that cause me to trust in God and to delight in Him. That's the effect of a sermon. You shouldn't feel comfortable under a sermon. This is one of the problems we have. I just read a sermon to you that's full of telling you that you're doing things wrong and exhorting you to do things differently. And how many of you are impacted by that at all? Did that hit home a bit for you? I mean, when he said to you, fret not. Why are you fretting so much? Trust in God. Delight in him. Did that like strike you at all? This is what it's for. We are God's children, and yet what we will be is not yet fully here. What we want to be, more godly, we don't yet experience as much as we'd like. And God's grace to us, one of God's mercies to us, is coming under the preaching of his word, where we are again are troubled by his word, that we might turn to him and seek mercy. And so why aren't you troubled? 
Why can this just pass right over you? I'm not going to answer it for you. And so as you come to this psalm, as I read it, wouldn't it be a better life if you listened to it? Uh, Let's just look at the utility of it. Wouldn't your life be better if you could apply this? If you didn't fret so much, if you didn't worry so much, if you weren't so bent out of shape, if you actually believed the promises here and did refrain from anger, if you were more generous and delighting the God, like, wouldn't that be better for you? How about this? Let's say the world, without even becoming Christian, without actually being truly converted, just read Psalm 37 and said, you know what, we're going to do that. Wouldn't it be a better world? Even if they weren't converted, but just looked at it and said, wow, that's really intelligent. Let's try this. Wouldn't that be a much more, let's say you're just your household. Everybody in your household tomorrow decided to just live Psalm 37. Be like a really good day. That's what wisdom literature is. Wisdom literature is holding out for you a really good day. A way to listen to Glenn Beck and not get so stirred up and bent out of shape, but to actually trust in God and delight in Him. It works. It's true. It's right. It's beautiful. This is God's wisdom. Now, the wisdom here has to do with that word right away, fret not. Now, that word means something like, don't get so overheated so quickly. How many of you have come home and did one little thing and your spouse, your child, just the temperature went from like here to there in an instant. It just, and you go, what in the heck happened? Or maybe you're just listening to something and this tidbit of information comes up and you just, boom. You can do it when you're driving, right? You're just driving along and then you're just angry because somebody did something that you disapprove of. That's what the psalm is getting at. Right? It's like an engine that overheats doesn't work well, right? If you're working out all day in the sun and don't drink enough water, this is teaching you how to not do that. Why? Because it's fruitless. It doesn't glorify God. It doesn't lead to joy for you. It doesn't help anybody else when you boil over, when your temperature gauge spikes, when you just seethe internally. So this is very applicable, very helpful. And some of you really indulge in that. I think this is why you listen to what you listen to or watch what you watch, because you like to be kept in a state of perpetual frustration and anger. I think this is why news programs do what they do, how they maintain their viewership, by just keeping you ticked. This is what you talk about with guys at work, don't you? Things that just keep you all agitated. It's fruitless. It's not wise. It doesn't work. 
what does work is this kind of wisdom. Now, this psalm isn't advocating for withdrawal from the world or that the Christian lives some kind of Zen-like, pacifistic life where you're never feeling anything. This psalm feels very deeply. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you. It's full of feeling. But it's the feeling that comes from faith. It's the feeling that comes from trusting in God, from seeking him as your delight. Psalmist doesn't deny that evil exists. It's right there. It doesn't deny that it looks like often the evil are winning, prospering, flourishing, while the godly aren't. It looks that way. It is that way sometimes. But he's teaching you how to view things as if God is God and God is good and God is wise and all things are under a sovereign hand. So this psalm is dealing with that most difficult question. If God is God and he is good, why is there such evil in the world? That's the question, isn't it? And you know what its answer is? It doesn't give you one. It just tells you to trust God. To just delight yourself in him. Because you wouldn't like the answer, nor would your puny brain probably be able to comprehend what he's doing in this world for his glory. And so you're called to trust on him who sent his son into this world to pay the penalty for the sin of this world, and particularly the sin of his own people. And so find your delight in him. Don't question him. Enjoy him. Don't put him in the witness stand and think that you get to treat him as a hostile witness. But worship him. Thank him. That's the wisdom of it. And this wisdom is something that is to be experienced. It's something to feel. It's something to not be satisfied until it's in your bones. And it's around this word meekness. So as I said, Jesus quotes the heart of this psalm in verse 11 in his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 11 says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So that word delight is what Jesus says, blessed. The blessedness there in the Sermon on the Mount doesn't just mean God's kind of giving you more, but delight, enjoyment. The enjoyment that comes from abundant peace. So if you want to restate the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is saying in the word blessed is that whole second line. Delighted are those in abundant peace who are meek. They'll inherit the land. And so the meek get great reward. The meek get incredible reward. They get a reward here on earth, and the reward here on earth is delighted in themselves in abundant peace. Wouldn't that be nice to experience that? Delight themselves in abundant peace who are meek. Now, you have to believe this by faith, that to respond to what God's word has here to say is to be meek, 
and that the fruit of that meekness is to delight yourselves because you'll have abundant peace. This comes to the meek. That's the fruit for the meek. We'll get to what meekness is in a moment, but let me just lay out there the carrot first, the reward. The reward in this age is the experience internally of the feelings of delight that flow from abundant peace. There is also a promise for the future, land. Throughout this psalm, in fact, I believe six times, the promise is that they'll inherit the land. You think I would have written down exactly where each of those were, but I didn't. Yeah, I know it's an 11. I believe it's six times. So there's your, uh, that's what you have to do after the sermon is email me or text me the places where it is. It's in verse 22. I see it there. All right. So that's the promise though. Inherit the land. Now, let your mind go biblical here. Where, where do you see promises of land or earth in Scripture? Right away in the beginning, right? God's created people are given the garden and then told to work and subdue it. The whole earth was theirs. And then, of course, in sin, they were removed from it. And then the next promise in the Bible to Noah, but then to Abraham is what? Land. Throughout the Old Covenant, particularly to the nation of Israel, there was a tangible promise of a specific piece of land. And Jesus, right at the beginning, who is a new Moses, a second Adam, a far better Abraham, preaching his first sermon, promises the same promise, but expands it worldwide. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. So it's all ours. The meek get it all. And this is what Jesus always does. Because the meek typically don't get anything. Good guys finish last. The last get to be first. The meek, the humble, the trusting God, those who delight themselves in God, end up with it all. They get everything. Now, this promise of earth isn't like you've inherited a wasteland. This is God's promise of a worldwide Eden. He'll make it all new. There'll be nothing evil. There'll be no death, no pain, no need for chemo, no tears, nothing gone wrong anymore. He'll do that all and then give it to you and you, we get it all. That's the promise for the meek. For those who will take what he says in Psalm 37 to heart. So that's what's happening in this psalm. It's an acrostic written to be remembered. It's God's wisdom showing us the fruitfulness of faith if we'll learn meekness and the reward of experiencing in this world delight that comes from abundant peace and the future of living in a heaven on earth. So what is meekness? 
Well, meekness is one of those things that doesn't lend itself to a simple definition. It takes an entire psalm to paint you a picture of it. So Psalm 37 is, again, an entire sermon painting you a picture of what a meek person is like. A meek person is somebody who is wrestling within him or herself over all that he sees in the world with anger, frustration, being overheated real quick. It's got a temper, this one. Yet he's fighting. And so the first thing we see about a meek person is that he's really challenged by the evil in this world. She can't stand all of the wickedness. Second, that there is a particular challenge to your faith, a temptation to handle it unwisely and sinfully with becoming overheated. So we see it all over the psalm. All the negative imperatives, fret not, don't be envious, refrain from anger, forsake wrath, turn away from the evil of anger. So there's evil in the world. The meek person sees it and doesn't like it. The temptation is to handle that sinfully, fretfully, blowing your top, letting it consume you, letting your goat be got, being controlled by it rather than being under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so the meek person is learning how to discipline himself or herself, to turn his heart or her heart towards something that will actually bear fruit. And one way to summarize what he's saying is just take the long view of faith. Look at verse 2. Why, why shouldn't you fret in verse 1? Why don't you have to be envious? Just wait a little bit. There'll be nothing left to be envious over. And they'll, they'll fade. They'll wither. Just wait a half a second. Today's news will be forgotten tomorrow. You see this contrast. Look at verse 35. It looks like a wicked, ruthless man is flourishing. He's spreading like a green laurel tree. I don't know what a green laurel tree is. But it's something that is green and lush and looks like it's flourishing. What it it looks like. And it makes you angry. How can a wicked person flourish? Well, just wait. He passed away. It's no more. I'm actually seeking him and I can't find a trace of him. But, verse 37, mark the blameless. Pay attention to the upright, for there's a future for the man of peace. So this has to do with what are you giving your attention to? Why do we pay so much attention to the wicked and not mark the righteous? Why do we get so excited when it looks like a wicked person, a famous person, says Jesus' name? No life change, no actual repentance, but they look like they're saying something Christian and all the Christians just go gaga over it. Why don't you just pay attention to Christians? Why don't we mark the blameless and behold the upright. And so the wisdom of the meek is, wait a little bit. 
Take the long view. And you can do that in everything. How many of you have given up on some kind of very important relationship because right now it's hard? And you just settled into this is the way it's going to be. That's not meek. That's actually unbelief. So this isn't just a passive faith that hope things will turn around but doesn't do anything. This is the meek actually take action. You, you take two actions. First, you say no to your anger, to your fretting. And then you do the things necessary to trust in the Lord and delight yourself in the Lord. So what are you feeding yourself on? Are you nourishing your fretting, feeding your frustration and anger? Or are you nourishing your love of God? I love verse 25. This has been one of my... uh, This comes to my mind often. It's one of those verses that I bring to memory, but I don't know where it is. You ever do that? I've heard this verse and it strikes me, but I can never find it. Here's, this is wisdom. I've been young and now I'm old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. Now, this is wisdom literature. So he's saying he never, he's never seen an, a godly person hungry. That's not what he's saying. He's saying all things considered, generally, over time, God takes really good care of his people. And that's been my observation through all of my years of life, and I'm an old dude now. Are you feeding yourself on that kind of thing? That's what he's feeding his soul on. Look at verse 31. The law of God is in his heart. He's feeding himself on God's law. And so nourish and strengthen your faith, your joy in the Lord by observing those who are godly, by filling yourself with God's word. But there's also activities here. Look at verse 16. Better is the little the righteous has than the abundance of the many wicked. You're taking the action of contentment. Isn't that weird? You're good with what God has given you. But you also do good. Verse 27. Turn away from evil and do good. It's what the meek do. As we say, he's just a good man. When you say that, you're You're looking at somebody who's meek. They're also generous. Verse 21, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Last week, we let you know of benevolence need. Do you know how much came in last week? Any guesses? $31,000. Praise God, right? This is what godly people do. This is what the meek do. But mainly, look at verse 4. The meek find their ultimate delight in God. This is one of those verses that early on in my Christian life kind of blew me away. It's a command. This word, this verb is in the imperative. It's telling you to do something. Make yourself really happy. Get as happy as you can be. Thrill yourself to the highest level in the Lord. This is an active thing. Now, sometimes it looks like verse 7, you're still before the Lord and you're waiting patiently before him. But I think mainly it has to do with you just thinking about what God is like. 
taking control of your thoughts and directing them towards thinking about specific character parts, attributes, actions of God and enjoying it. You ever do that? Do you know what I mean? You, you like direct your heart, your soul, your mind to thinking specifically about God and what he's like. Maybe things that he's done for you in the past. Maybe things that you've seen him do for others. What thrills you about him? Every time we sing about the Trinity, that gives me a thrill. Because who, who, how can you comprehend that? It's a delight. It's beyond me. It's transcendent. I want to think more about that because it's enjoyable. So Psalm 37 is a wisdom psalm. It's a sermon meant to be remembered to teach you how to live in a world where it looks like the wicked win. To actually find delight in this world in God. Now, as I said, each Hebrew letter gets two verses until you get to the end. The last Hebrew letter gets three. It wants to draw your attention specifically right at the end. The salvation, verse 39 and 40, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is the stronghold in a time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in, you, in him. So what can you do this week to take refuge in him? Is you're exhausted from a newborn. What can you do to take refuge in him? As you have income difficulties, what can you do to take refuge in him? As you're just down in the dumps, struggling to get out of bed or get going, what can you do to take refuge in him? As you go to a workplace that's really unsatisfying, what can you do to take refuge in him? As you're just worn out from caretaking of a loved one, what can you do to take refuge in him? What can you do to actively move towards God as your refuge this week? What's one thing? Just one thing. Now, in the charge, what I want you to do is, I want you to do that. Find one thing, but I, I don't want you to just do it by yourself. I want you to engage another believer in this. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your child. Be helpful towards each other. Maybe it's just getting together and praying with somebody. That's what the psalmist is doing for us here, right? He's helping us take refuge in God. And so how can you be helpful to somebody else in that way? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are actually this. You are the being that can bring us the most and lasting delight. You are the one in control of all things. You're just. You're wise. You are our salvation. It comes from you. You're our stronghold. Your judgment and a terror on the wicked. You're our refuge. And so, God, give us the faith by your Spirit to actually experience that. Motivate us, God, to take action by faith to find our delight in you and to seek our refuge in you. And so, God, please be merciful to us in this. 
We need you to shepherd us and we need each other. And so God, help us to be helpful to each other in that, particularly in praying. And we ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge is evaluate your relationships through like the lens of how can I be helpful to this person seeking refuge in God? Okay, so think about that like for your spouse or your child or your friend or What can I do to be helpful to him or to her, seeing God as a refuge? And then do that. May God bless you with meekness, and may you know that you'll inherit all things, including all the earth, through this living faith in Christ. And amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.